Welcome to the Rock Podcast. Here in chapter 8 of 2 Kings, we see the providence of God. In the first story, it shows the kindness of God, and in the second, it shows the sinfulness of man. In either case, whether working in the lives of believers or wicked unbelievers, God is still in charge. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, The God Who Sees. Alrighty, let's get started. We are making our way verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Old Testament. So you always know where we're going to pick up because we pick up where we left off. And tonight it'll be 2 Kings chapter 8. 2 Kings chapter 8. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we just come before you. We, We ask, Lord, that you would still our hearts by the power of your spirit and just quiet, quiet our thoughts and help us to focus on your word and to listen to that still small voice, to hear life, uh, to hear our, the correction that we need, the instruction, the comfort, uh, for we know that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable to help us to walk with God in the right way. So we just submit ourselves to you and ask for your blessing in Christ's name, amen. Well, it's always pretty amazing when we can see the hand of the Lord working in our lives uh, as he arranges timing and circumstances. We know that there's no such thing as coincidence. And uh, sometimes it's pretty evident that God is working on our behalf. One of my favorite all-time stories that I like to tell, and maybe you've heard it, Uh, When Barb and I were newly married, we lived in San Jose. I was a youth pastor at a very large church uh, there working with the junior high. And uh, after a couple years, the senior pastor uh, moved on and the new pastor came in. And when that happened in that church, uh, all the associate pastors uh, had to uh, tender their resignations. And, uh, and then if he wanted to keep you on, he'd keep you on. And so it, it, rumor had it that we were all going to be let go. <laughs> and so it seemed like the worst possible timing uh, for us. So we were going to be out of a job, a job that we loved, uh, stable income. And the worst part, uh, Barb was, we had a one-year-old, Jordan, and then Barb was pregnant with Zachary. And so we had great insurance. And then to, to think we were going to lose that insurance as well. So uh, I made an appointment with the new pastor we had never met. And we sat down and um, I tried to convince him that maybe I could stay on. Uh, but he already had a youth pastor. He was bringing his former youth pastor, with him. And so uh, that lasted about three minutes. (laughs) And then uh, we did have a plan B, and uh, if it wasn't going to work out, we were going to go down to Pasadena, where I was already taking uh, extension courses from Fuller Seminary in Menlo Park. 
once a week. And so I knew someday, in order to get my master's degree, I would have to go down to Pasadena. And I thought, well, maybe this is the time to go down to Pasadena. And so I left that pastor's office pretty bummed. I mean, a three-minute conversation it was pretty brief and concise. And so I went from his office to my office, and I just thought, how in the world are we going to afford uh, a young family, you know, and full-time seminary student. I just couldn't see it. I called Fuller, asked to speak to somebody in the housing, student housing department. And it was pretty discouraging, actually. She she was telling me, you know, it's pretty expensive, even if you got on the list, but it's a year long, you know. And then I told her my sob story. <laughs> and uh, I said, we're a young family. And then she said, listen, Right before you called, I mean the second before you called, I had just hung up with an, uh, a senior citizen, a man, who called and said, I just want to help a young family. Uh, I have a little granny union. Is there anybody you know? Uh, a young couple, maybe with a couple little babies trying to get through seminary that would benefit from a little granny unit. Now she said, there's a lot of people ahead of you, but the timing is really amazing. And you started saying young family, and he said, I want to help young family. Just hung up, and then you say, hey, I'm a young family, I need help. And wow. She said, here's his number. His name is Howard. So I called Howard. I said, I'm a Fuller student. I'm interested in renting your place. And he goes, wow, that was fast. (laughs) Next line, he says to me, what color do you want the carpets? And I said, well, do you want to meet me first? And he goes, you go to the seminary, right? Well, I said, I will be going to the seminary. And uh, we're all Christian brothers, right? I said, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, you'll love our little place. And, you know, he's telling me all about it. And he went back to the question, How, what color do you want the garbage? <laughs> and so uh, it was, and then I said, uh, so how much did you say the rent was? And he said, well, you know, I know you're struggling and, you know, I'm not, I don't need the money and I just want to help a young family. And with $300, it, when you can afford it, would that be too much to ask? And uh, the units at Fuller were $950. So I said, no, that would be okay. <laughs> You know, and he's asking about little Jordan and Barb and all of this. And he was just a, just a wonderful man. Barb was just down there I don't know, for a conference or something. And uh, she's calling me from the place and she's saying, they tore everything down. And Howard sold the whole place to a medical facility. <laughs> and so there's like a hospital on the property. And so Howard did quite well. the Lord blessed him but you know God saw our need but what did he have to do to get that those two phone calls to align by a mere seconds so that so that we could be blessed like that when we really needed to and you know it seems like those kinds of things happen on a daily basis I know that all of you are thinking of So many coincidences that seem to happen, and it's really God's providential care uh, for his people. And so uh, here in 2 Kings chapter 8, you're going to see with me that God's been doing this kind of thing for a long, long time. Verse 1. There we go. 
Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. The woman proceeded to do as the man of God said. She and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines seven years. At the end of the seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and she went to the king to beg for her house and land. The king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, and had said, Tell me about all the great things Elisha has done. Just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, the woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life came to beg the king for her house and land. Gehazi says, This is the woman, my lord, the king, uh, and this is her son whom Elijah restored to life. The king asked the woman about it, and she told him. Then he assigned an official to her case and said to him, Give back everything that belonged to her, including all the income from her land from the day she left the country until now. That's pretty awesome. Well... Number one, if you're taking notes, we're going to get through this story and the next story uh, for tonight. But this story, number one, God's providence, God's providence. Now, in Christian thinking or in Christian theology, there's really no such thing as a coincidence. And I, I believe it's a French saying that says coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Now, there may have been many unbelievers there in the palace who saw that whole thing happen and and think, wow, what a crazy coincidence. But Christians don't call those kinds of things uh, a coincidence. We call them for what what they are. We we see the hand of the Lord or we call it a God thing. uh, But we acknowledge that God put those things together, that chance encounter Uh, has been in the works since before the earth was spinning and formed. Uh, Jesus said, my father is always at his work, and I too am working. That's in John chapter 5. So we know that God is always working, and when, when we, that whole subject is called providence. The word in English comes from two words together in the Latin, pro and video, which means to see before or to see ahead. Perhaps a, a better word or a easier to understand word that we use more often would be to prearrange. That God has prearranged things. He's not only seen it, but he's had his hand actually uh, orchestrating the whole deal without violating our free wills, uh, which is an amazing thing. Uh, now, speaking of working all things together for good, back in chapter 4, I'm wondering if this woman who lost her son, temporarily at least, who died, uh, that in chapter 8, that that bitterness that she went through was actually going to play a major role in saving her life four chapters later. So I started thinking, you know, many times we're in chapter four in the bitterness and we're not thinking of Romans 8.28 that says God is working all things, all things together. The bitter, the loss, the death, everything. 
He's working it all together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And chapter 8 always comes. Chapter 8 will always come where you go, if it weren't for that, I wouldn't be here making a claim that will be validated in the presence of Elisha who raised my boy from the dead. So just remember, if you're in chapter 4 tonight, there is a chapter 8, and it's a promise. And you will realize chapter 8 in this life or in the true life that's truly life in when we see the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the writer of 2 Kings starts off by saying, okay, so do you remember the woman whose little boy died and Elisha raised him from the dead? As I was saying, that's back in chapter 4 of 2 Kings. You'll recall a well-to-do, godly, generous couple, a friend of Elisha, wanted to minister to him. So they built a little rooftop apartment, real cozy little place for when he traveled. He'd always have a place to rest and to study. And consequently, the Lord blessed the couple with this little boy. When he was about five years old, you recall, he was out in the field with his dad. And he came running to his dad, my head, my head. And uh, mom took him and cradled him in her lap until about noon, and then he died. Uh, Without telling dad, she just laid this lifeless corpse upstairs on Elisha's bed in the guest room there and went to go get him. Like, this is your problem. (laughs) And uh, she went and got him and brought him back. And crazy Gehazi, uh, as you remember him, you know, we'll explain him in a bit, witnessed the whole thing. So Gehazi saw that and many other miracles being Elisha's then servant. Now, the king of Israel is interested in all of these miracles. And so who better to relate the dramatic stories than Elisha's servant? Now, maybe he wanted to hear miracles. We know that he's not, this is Ahab's son. So he's not a godly man. But he may have been having a change of heart. Or he's like Herod uh, there in Luke chapter 23, where he, when Jesus was being crucified, uh, Pilate sent him to Herod, and Herod was overjoyed because he had always wanted to see Jesus perform a miracle, but just like a circus act. He wasn't interested, he just wanted to see the miracle. And if Jesus answered him, not a word. Very uh, scary (laughs) when the Son of God doesn't have anything to say to a person. And so uh, this king, he wants to hear about the miracles. Who knows what's going on in his heart? And, and so evidently, apparently, this event happened before Gehazi was cursed with leprosy in chapter 5, or he stayed on as uh, the servant, even though he had leprosy, and the king is speaking at a distance. You know, nobody really knows. It's either one or the other. So, so here's the fun part, verses 4 and 5. They're sitting there, and the king's asking away, you know, tell me some of the best stories. And so Gehazi's rattling them off one by one, and, he, and I can just imagine him saying, well, you think that's cool? Let me tell you about this couple's boy, five-year-old. A, a miracle child, you know, and then suddenly he has a stroke. He's grabbing his head and he dies. And, and he's laying there in the upper room for a day. Yeah, rigor mortis had already set in, King. You know how I know? Because I was there. I laid his staff on his face. It didn't work for me. But then Elisha came and this boy sat up. And in the 
entranceway, the boy and his mom, now a teenager, stand. Right when he says, and the boy stood up. Ooh, what? Uh, Gehazi, everybody, just their eyes popping open wide. That's the boy that I'm telling you about. I think everybody was like, I have goosebumps right now. <laughs> just to talk at the story. You know, I mean, the king should be amazed because, you know, he's seeing kind of, he's, he's experiencing kind of a miracle in itself. Just the setup of what are the odds? Come on, you're telling me this random story and then the mom and the, and the son that you're talking about, they're standing right there. Well, what in the world were they doing there? It kind of tells you... Uh, Seven years earlier, Elisha the prophet loves this couple and the boy and went to them and said, hey, listen, God is bringing judgment on Israel. Best you go to a foreign land somewhere or greener pastures because God is bringing um, a famine to the land as judgment against Israel, which in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, he tells us people, don't expect to be able to bite the hand that feeds you and still be able to eat unconditionally like that. And so the Lord is going to bring judgment. Now, uh, interesting to me that they have to go to the Philistine territory where God is not dealing with the Philistines. They're off the hook for the moment. He's dealing with his people. So there is land that is prospering in the Philistine country. So they go there. Doesn't that remind you of Naomi and uh, Elimelech? Is that his name? Her husband? They left Bethlehem right? For Moab because of the famine. And so uh, the, the Old Testament is heavy with provision for uh, protection of widows. And so uh, she has a lot of chutzpah is a Yiddish word. It's kind of a Jewish word that went Europeanized. And uh, it just means a lot of nerve and a lot of charisma. So uh, she go, she's going to go to the king for legal recourse, which they could do back then. And they'd actually get through, and the king would listen to them, and that was the timing. Uh, and then the boy sat up, and, whoa, there's the boy. Now, it's amazing because this miraculous timing, number one, it told the king and everyone else that there's a God in heaven because of the miracle itself of the timing. And, and, and just think that the Lord loves the king, and he wants to convince the king. Uh, he's saying to the king, pal, you want to hear about miracles. Oh, you want to be entertained. Tell me stories, third person. Tell me about these amazing miracles that happen to other people. And the Lord is saying, King, why don't I show you how to be a part of this miracle-working God? And so take a look at this. So I think that he shows up at that time with his mom uh, for the sake of of the king as well. And, and secondly, of course, it validates the woman's claim because Gehazi said, yeah, I've been to the ranch. That's her property. And uh, if, if the Lord is doing this tremendous work, then the king is going to be predisposed uh, to uh, give her her land back. What was going on? Well, in the seven years, the renters took over the place and didn't pay their rent. And then she comes back and she's alone. There's no husband. Well, he was old in chapter 4. Remember he was old? Well, he's gone now. So she comes back, rings the doorbell. They go, get out of here. Make us leave. 
you know. Well, you haven't paid your rent either. <laughs> Come and get it, old lady. Are you going to stick your teenage boy on us? Ooh. So, <laughs> so, so she goes to the king. She goes, uh, you know what? I'm going to the king. <laughs> All right, go to the king. So she comes back now because he assigns an official. He's so moved. Of course, he, he wouldn't have done this without this timing. He's so moved. Yeah, put an official on this case. Man, this is crazy supernatural stuff. So now she goes back to her farm. She rings the doorbell. They say, hey, we told you to beat it. And then there are two guards standing there from the king's palace. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, that sort of reminds me about the end of the world, which is probably in 15 minutes from now when the, when the Lord shall return um, and take his church up to be caught up to be with the Lord out of harm's way for the judgment that's about to come on the whole earth as there is global chaos right now. Amen. Uh, but I digress <laughs> as usual. Uh, you know what it reminds me of is when the king sends officials back to the widow who is taken advantage of. Now, ding dong, and now the king's messengers are there. Right? It reminds me of the end when you, you realize those Christians who are martyred in the great tribulation during the seven-year period that's coming any day now, those Christians who are left behind, who become Christians uh, and are martyred, they return with Christ to the world that martyred them. Ding dong. We're back, and they're going to say, didn't we, we go rid of you guys, right? You know, oh, that's what you said about him too. You thought you got rid of him and you thought you got rid of us. But what did Jesus say? About five different times he said, and that time the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That's part of what he means. And I see it right here in this story. Okay, so remember God's always at work behind the scenes, whether you see that or not. He's arranging things for your good. And it's just having faith to trust him with the details. Okay, second story. It kind of changes the scene now. And this will be our final story, 7 through 15. Elisha now goes to Damascus. That's up north in the capital of Syria, and which still is. <laughs> and Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, Aram, same thing. I'm just going to call it Syria from now on, uh, was ill. All right. Now, when the king was told, hey, the man of God has come all the way up here. So Elisha's up in Syria. He says to Haziel, you know, one of his servants, take a gift with you and go to meet the man of God. Consult the Lord through him. Oh, wow. Ask him, will I recover from this illness? Haziel went to meet Elisha, taking with him as a gift 40 camel loads of all the finest wares of Damascus. He went in and stood before Elisha and said, your son, Ben-Hadad, it's just a nice way of endearing himself to Elisha, your son, king of Syria, has sent me to ask, will I recover from this illness? Elisha says, go and say to him, you will certainly recover you will certainly recover, but the Lord has revealed to me that he will, in fact, die. He stared at him with a fixed gaze until Haziel felt ashamed. Then the man of God began to weep. 
Why is my Lord weeping? asked Haziel. Because I know the harm you will do to the Israelites, he answered. You will set fire to their fortified places, kill their young men with the sword, dash their little children to the ground, and rip open their pregnant women. That was a very common barbaric thing that they used to do back then. Verse 13, Haziel said, How could your servant, a mere dog, a nobody, accomplish such a feat? The Lord has shown me that you will become king of Syria, answered Elisha. Then Haziel, this messenger, left Elisha and returned to his master. When Ben-Hadad, the king who's sick, asked, What did Elisha say to you? Haziel replied, He told me that you would certainly recover. But the next day, but the next day he took a thick cloth, soaked it in water, and spread it over the king's face so that he died. Then Haziel succeeded him as king. Well, let's walk through this one. Uh, First, we've seen God's providence uh, that shows God's kindness. And now very interesting because you really see God's providence again, but it displays man's wickedness instead of God's kindness. Uh, So first of all, God's providence with wicked men doing wicked things, and God knows about it, and God's orchestrating is not causing it. Certainly, because there's no darkness in God, no evil, no sin. Uh, But he's orchestrating things even above when uh, unbelievers are in office. I like Psalm 22 and verse 28. It says, For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. So whether they acknowledge him or not, good or bad, he's at work. Whether it's Reagan, Obama, Putin, or Osama, God is the unseen conductor. He's orchestrating everything for his good purposes. And so you'll remember that Elijah, now we got Elijah back in 1 Kings 19 years ago. You know after Jezebel chased him out of town and he went up and met the Lord on Mount Sinai. The Lord said, okay, I'm going to give you a chance here to get things right. And he kind of failed. And he said, listen, I've got three things for you to do now. I'm going to give you, there are some changes coming politically and religiously speaking. Uh, three things that I want you to do. One, commission Elisha to, to kind of replace you, right, as the prophet and Israel's leader. Number two, I want you to commission Haziel, Haziel, this Haziel to replace the king Ben-Hadad. So the Lord said back in 1 Kings 19 to Elijah, who was going to tell Elisha to carry out because he's carried up uh, before he gets to do that, to replace Haziel, uh, Ben-Hadad with Haziel, this guy. And also number three, uh, he also said to Elijah, commission Jehu to replace Joram, um, And that happens next chapter. So right now, verses 7 through 15 tell you how Elisha carries on what Elijah's been told to do to anoint Haziel, this messenger from Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who sent him to find out whether he's going to live or not. Uh, The Lord told Elisha, now you need to replace them. He's going to be king. And 7 through 15 just tells you how this whole nasty thing came about with God's providence because God already 
knew it was going to happen because he wanted his leader to actually oversee it. You know, not condone it, but oversee it. So first we have a sick king. King, he's a pagan king. He's, he's a serious king. He's been the enemy of Israel. He's tried to kill Elijah, Elisha, right? So now what's the change of heart now? Well, nothing softens a guy's heart like a terminal illness. Now, or, <laughs> or at least one that appears to be. How sad. Just how sad. How sad. I mean, let me just tell you. Just let me be upfront with you. 11 years ago, you know, I had uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. I just went through two years of chemotherapy, radiation, and then ultimately a bone marrow transplant. I was in the hospital for months at a time at UCSF. Anytime I got a lump or a bump afterwards, I don't care where it was in my body, I could tell just a whole different attitude, a much more serious approach to my prayer life. (laughs) Here I am. I'm a pastor. I love the Lord. You know, I've been in this for 35 years, but I'll tell you what. I could still feel a more seriousness come over me, a more fervor, just a, 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 a more a desire to live more holy when I was thinking perhaps the cancer has come back. Now, it's been 11 years, and, you know, uh, I still get a little crazy when I think, oh, no. What's that pain about? And I just noticed that my heart always goes straight to humility and humbleness and taking things a little bit more seriously. And you're like, well, you're a pastor. Aren't you always like that? No, I'm not. I'm I'm a human being. Uh, and, And so, yeah, I mean, I know none of you can relate to this. Because you're always on your knees before the Lord and all of that. But anyway, so the Syrian king, he's coughing up blood. And now suddenly he has a change of heart. Suddenly Elijah's not so bad of a guy after all. And did I say I hate Jews? Well, I didn't mean I hate Jews. I mean, I love them, right? And so now suddenly uh, he wants to, to find out where Elisha is. He hears that he's here, and he wants to find out what the Lord would say. Well, what, what great hope, because the guy says, I want to ask the Lord through him. Oh, man, that's a good sign. I think we might see him eventually uh, in heaven. Uh, so, verse 7, the bedridden, feverish king um, Gets word, guess who's up here? Guess who made it all the way up to Syrian Heights? Uh, the man of God. And what a compliment. Just doesn't call him Elisha, just as the man of God. Uh, wouldn't that be nice if somebody said, you know, hey, you know, who's here? The woman of God. And everybody knew who that was. That's awesome. Uh, and so the man of God is here. So verse 8, he, he says, go and find out. He's, he's real hopeful. And, uh, you know, I just love that he knows that the Lord knows the answer and he's going to seek him. Now, go and ask the Lord through him and um, to help, verse 8, to help smooth out any past grudges because you'll recall, this is the same king who sent guards to kill Elisha. 
Remember, because Elisha was always outing the Syrian army by getting prophetic words of their location and their ambush sites. So Elisha would go to the king of Israel and say, hey, king, the Lord just told me where they are. Avoid that place. So the king, Ben-Hadad, who's sick in his deathbed, is the one who said, I'm going to kill that guy. And now suddenly he's he's asking, he's his son, (laughs) you know, and then he says, uh, and to smooth out any past grudges, offer him a bribe. I mean, a gift. Uh, just a little token of appreciation. Just a small token. There are 40 camels. 40 camels? This guy's desperate. He wants a good answer, all right? He wants a good answer. So he thinks 40 camels is going to do the trick. But you know what? Uh, men and women of God cannot be bought. They just can't be bought. And neither can the Lord be. What's up with the big checks when we're, you know, the big checks don't mean anything if if there's not a yielded heart. It's a yielded heart the Lord is after. Uh, So with a load of commodities, I can only imagine what's in those uh, sacks, and a load of flattery, Haziel, says in verse 9, your son is asking, will the king recover from his sickness? And then here comes the enigmatic or cryptic or puzzling response. He says, yes and no. (laughs) So he says, yes, if left to normal circumstances of healing, yeah, the illness is not a fatal one. Uh, So here's what I picture. While he's talking to Haziel, who he knows is going to be the next king because years ago, the Lord already told him to anoint him as king. He's taking out a flask and he's saying, yeah, he's going to live until you kill him. That's kind of what he's doing. He's saying, you're going to be the one who ends his life. And so there's dead quiet. He gives the whole list uh, there. Well, not yet. There's dead quiet. There's a stare down. You remember that game you used to play when you were a kid with somebody who could outstare the other one and you just gaze and sorry, Kim. You just gaze. Let's try, okay? Let's try it. Just try it. I'm already uncomfortable. You win. You win. (laughs) Right. Well, there's a stare down. Elisha just stares at him and says, yeah, it's not, a, it's not a sickness unto death. And he says, but he's not going to live. And then he just right into his soul until Haziel is ashamed because he knows he can see right through me. So in the dead quiet, the oil is still dripping down the side of Haziel's stunned face. Elisha's fixed stare into the deep, dark soul of this murderous, conniving army officer. Elisha kind of gives him an icy stare until, like I said, the guy's embarrassed. He's ashamed. He knows that his secrets have been exposed. Guess what Haziel means? God sees. Wow. How does God even do that? How did God... He names him. He gets his parents to name him the punchline of his life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in Romans, where is it? 
11, somewhere around 33, where Paul just has a tilt moment. He's trying to describe God's majestic ways past searching out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who can understand his, his great thinking? You can't even begin to understand. For for him and from him and to him and beyond him and under him and above him are all things. I added a few extra prepositions <laughs> there. Uh, and so all the secrets are exposed. As, as You know, you have two choices because the true Elisha, Jesus, King Jesus, the true prophet who can see into the secrets of every heart, he will stand and every human being will gaze into his eyes. But worse yet, those eyes of blazing fire, the maker of that person will gaze in. And then you have two options, full coverage, all right, or self-pay, all right? So the full coverage people are blessed because their sins have been covered. God who knows the secrets of all will not be putting them to shame because Romans chapter 10 verse 11 says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall not be put to shame. So the gaze that we have evaluates us for faithfulness, yes. Reward and loss of reward, yeah. But no, no gaze that embarrasses and, and makes us ashamed. No Christian will ever be put to shame. You will not be ever put to shame. You'll not stand there. You may re- regret that you didn't w- work harder. Perhaps, I don't, I don't understand how that works because there is loss of reward for a lack of faithfulness, serious unfaithfulness. Uh, uh, but Psalm 32, it says, blessed is, whose, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. You know, I was thinking, I was talking to somebody, I have that for you to reflect upon. That's the gospel. We're covered. The hazels of this world will have to give an account. I have Romans chapter 2 here that says, um, this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Christ Jesus as my good news <laughs> declares. Well, that's not very good news uh, for Haziel. But for us, it's great news because we're covered. This is what would have been our lot. But he does, he's not going to uh, put us to shame. And so all the Haziels will stand before the living God and have to answer and be outed like that in their shame. Um, now, thank you for that. So, sadly, it didn't end there. You know, sometimes you'll hear something or you'll read something in the Word of God and you just think, you know what? I'm headed that way, but it's not going to happen to me. And you make some changes. You call out to God. There's breath in your body. There's grace. And you can make a change. But this guy and a lot of Hesiels, they, they know where they're headed and they, they just want to go there anyway. And so he... he, he He's going to go there. And Elisha uh, loses it. He starts to, to cry. And uh, verse 11, he's turn, he turns away and he's moved to tears. And Haziel says, why are you crying? And he says, because I know the barbaric acts that you are going to inflict on my people, the Jews. And then he says, 
Um, and by the way, those horrendous acts that you read about, they're happening right now. They're that bad. ISIS, and get, this, get, get who ISIS is. Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. It's the same place that we're talking about. This is incredible. 2,800 years ago, we're talking about acts of barbarism in the same place in Syria. And now they've risen to the same place that I, I will not say with my lips from a pulpit what ISIS is doing to people. I cannot say them from a pulpit. You can go online if you have the stomach for it, but it's as bad as the list. Children are involved. But that's what the Bible says that it's going to come to uh, that. So he says, I know the horrendous things. And interesting in verse 13, he says, I'm a nobody. I'm like a dog. I'm like a pup in the streets. How would I ever be able to pull off anything? Now, just saying, not, not that I want all the Jews to die, but if I did... I'm not, I couldn't, I don't have the power base to do something like that. And Elijah looks at him and goes, you're the man. You're the man. So Haziel returns to the place, like I said, it doesn't dissuade him at all. He's like, yeah, I am the man. God can actually tell a guy, if you keep doing this, you're going to end up perishing. Which he has told the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever... Uh, believes in him sh- should not perish, but have ev- everlasting life. But people go on anyway, and so does Haziel, because that's what Haziel's do. So verses 14 and 15, he goes up there, and then poor unsuspecting Ben-Hadad. Who doesn't? I mean, my heart goes out to this guy. He doesn't know he has a Judas for a, for a commander-in-chief, for a right-hand man. He's got a traitor. He's going to, has murderous thoughts. And so here comes the Academy Award performance. He comes in to the bedroom and he's all smiles and he's like, what did the man of God say? And he's like, hey, good news, boss, full recovery. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, man, you're going to recover. And there's some kind of ancient Syrian high five. (laughs) And they high five and there's tears of joy. Verse 15, the next day, Opportunity arises alone with the king and the beast overpowers the convalescing king who's weakened in his sick condition and smothers him to death. Perfect. No one's going to suspect foul play, right? Because he was sick unto death. And of course, he didn't tell anybody that what the prophet said. So be assured that there was a heartfelt speech given at the memorial service, eloquent, complete with choking back the tears from Haziel. He was my Lord. He loved the Syrian people, not as much as I do. Because <laughs> he wants his political aspirations to be known, right? And so lo and behold, after he, you know, flatters the crowd and the king's memory, they make him king. Haziel, long live king Aziel. Uh, one writer put it this way, unchecked pride and lusts in the human heart will compel a person to act in evil ways that rival even the devil himself. Oh, let's read that one more time. Unchecked pride, which we can all struggle with, 
and lusts. Anybody free of that? In the heart, unchecked, left alone, no fighting back, will compel a person to act in evil ways that rival even the devil himself. Well, the good news, of course, is that there's a city coming where the Haziels are banned. They won't be allowed in. I've got that verse, Revelation 21. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone like Haziel, who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I, I for one... I'm only 55, you know, but I've lived enough of a time of 35 years as a Christian that I'm just tired of the world. I'm tired of lies. I'm tired of cults. Uh, I'm tired of spiritual deception. I'm tired of seeing people fall away from the faith. I'm tired of families being broken up by adultery. I'm tired of Satan destroying people. Uh, I'm tired of nation against nation, of fear, little kids being harmed and killed and women being brutalized. I'm, I'm tired. And you know what? So is the Lord. The Lord is weary. And the Lord says, quickly, behold, quickly. Listen, I just want to end on Revelation 22. I didn't know where else to go but up. Revelation 22, 13 through 17. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, even a Haziel. Just wash your robe. Confess the name of Jesus. The blood of Christ will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That they may have the right to eat the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. This city, it's bejeweled. It has pearls. The gold on the streets is translucent like pure glass. It's just talking about this place where crystal seas and this beauty. And John's just like, I can't even explain it. But outside are, are the Hesiels, the unrepented ones. Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. <laughs> Now, you don't go to hell for any of those sins. You don't. Those sins describe those who went to hell because they rejected Christ. And those are the symptoms of the cause. The cause is a heart that died in their sins. Right? That's, that's the problem. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you, John, this testimony for the churches on the root and the offspring of David. In other words, on my human side, I'm related to King David through my mom. I have a different dad. <laughs> All right, some of you will get that later. <laughs> oh, yeah, the virgin birth. All right. And the bright morning star. Yeah. The spirit and the bride, the church, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, through the church is saying to the world, come and let him who hears come. Everybody, whoever's thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Looking forward to that time, 
Jesus said, when you see these things happening, Matthew 24, just know that as you see like a little bud, tender, ready to open up, then you'll know when these things have happened and they all, you can go down the list of Matthew 24, they've all happened. When you see them happening, just know that it's near even at the door. The Lord, like like I always say, listen, John said, beloved, we're in the last hour 2,000 years ago. We're in the last hour 2,000 years ago. Then 2,000 years fast forward, we are in the last seconds. And so do well. Do well. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Stay humble. Let the word of God speak to you. Make some changes tonight. As you go to bed tonight, you say, Lord, you know, wow, I heard something. I heard you talk to me about this area. I I just want to confess it to you. I want you to work. I want to change. I want to wake up different. I want to start tomorrow different. Here's the three things that, that I took away from that message. You know, these are the things. You're engaged. You're working. And God is at work in you to will and to do after his good pleasure. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are excited to live in this day and age where we we just sense we're at the end and you wanted us to sense that wherever we were born, you said, behold, I'm coming quickly. And so we believe you, Lord, that it's going to be fast and sudden and surprising, but not to us, Lord, we're waiting and watching and working. So help us, Lord, to take these words, be encouraged and exhorted by them, and put your truth into practice. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.